Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This series is on the parables of Jesus. A terrific companion to this teaching is Kevin's best-selling book, Mystery Parables of the Kingdom, available in paperback, hardcover, and ebook formats from Amazon in your area, or as an immediate PDF download from the shop at kevinconnor.org. Well, then to Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to look at verses 47 through to 50. Matthew chapter 13 and verses 47 through to 50. How many have not been here for this series that we've been doing on the parables of the kingdom? Right, so you're sort of coming in on the tail end of things and uh, we would like to encourage you to get hold of the tapes that we've done so far so you sort of pick up the theme of what we've been sharing. So we've been sharing together on the parables of the kingdom and I trust that as a body we've been enjoying the series together. How many can say amen? Amen. So uh, we're on parable number 7 tonight. So Matthew chapter 13 verses 47 through to 50. Again the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind which when it was full They drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be in the end of the world or the end of the age. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said unto them, Have you understood all these things? They say unto him, Yea, Lord. Then said he unto them, Therefore every scribe which is instructed under the kingdom of heaven is like unto a, house, uh, a man that is a householder which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. Pray that the Lord will bless his word to our hearts. Now what we're going to be doing for this term, uh, I thought I actually would have finished this series uh, last term, but then um, took a little bit longer on one or two of the parables than I had intended. Uh, So we're going to continue on the rest of the parables of the kingdom. Actually, in Matthew's Gospel, there are 12 Kingdom of Heaven parables, seven of them particularly in this chapter, and then five others uh, woven throughout chapter 20, chapter 22, 25, uh, and then also Matthew 18. So uh, there's altogether about 12 Kingdom of Heaven parables altogether, so we'll be working through that and plus bringing a lot of the loose ends Uh, from these parables together in the course of this term. (coughs) Thank you. (laughs) I guess that was for out there. How many want to go to the young people's class? Okay, just to uh, remind you where we're up to here. Now, first uh, session or so, we looked at uh, the uh, relationship of the seven parables of the kingdom to the golden lampstand. And as we uh, saw in the pattern that was given there, just have to pardon my voice a bit tonight, uh, in in the making of the golden lampstand, we have the shaft, And then we have six branches proceeding out of the shaft here. So two branches are the same, two branches are the same, two branches are the same. And all together, uh, seven branches with the seven lamps thereon. 
And uh, as we sort of did in the first parable, Jesus said, if you don't understand the first parable, or this parable of the sow and the seed, how are you going to understand the rest of the parables? And we've seen just the uh, progression of thought in the parables of the kingdom that Jesus gave here. And so we liken parable one to the shaft, and the other six parables of six branches proceeded out of the shaft. And so parable one, the main lesson of the parable, uh, parable number one, was the word of the beginning of the kingdom. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then the next two branches that we have here, or the first two branches, uh, like twins, we have parables 2 and 7, and both parable 2 and 7, we're looking at parable 7 tonight, uh, the whole emphasis, the main lesson of the parable is uh, the mixture that would be in the kingdom and the final separation. So in parable 2, uh, we saw the mixture of the wheat and the tares uh, growing together until the end of the age, the harvest is the end of the age, and then the final separation. So tonight we're going to look at the same major truth in parable 7, the parable of the net and the fish, the good and bad fish. Mixture in the kingdom and then final separation. And then uh, the next two branches, parable 3 and 4, they have the same basic truth. Uh, parables 3 and 4, another two branches are the same. Uh, parables 3 and 4 taught the external growth uh, of the kingdom and parable for the internal corruption so external and internal external growth and internal corruption of the kingdom then we come to the uh, next two branches of the same parables 5 and parable 6 and both of those have the same basic lesson and both teach the priceless value and cost of the kingdom in parable 5 the man uh, looking for the uh, found the treasure in the field he sold all that he had and bought the field in order to get the treasure and we have the same basic truth as we saw in our last uh, session together on the value and cost of the kingdom, man looking for goodly pearls. And he found one pearl of great price and he sold all that he had to buy the pearl. So there was a value in the treasure hidden in the field, there was a value in the uh, pearl of great price. And in both cases, the man sold all that he had uh, to, uh, to buy the field in order to get the treasure and buy the, uh, the goodly pearl here, the pearl of great price. Now, as we've been noticing together, and I just repeat this uh, by way of repetition, make no apology for it, many of the expositors, uh, is this thing working all right? Many of the expositors believe that we can only take the major lesson of the parable and ignore the parts and not to make anything out of the parts of the parable. Well, as I've contended all the way through, uh, that Jesus... Uh, gave us uh, the parts of the parable in order to help us to understand the whole. So we work from part to whole and whole to part. So uh, it's no use sort of, as I said, when we put a jigsaw puzzle together, we're not putting the puzzle together and say, I don't know where that part fits, just throw that part away. And then you try and fit something else and get another part and throw that away, I don't know where that fits. Uh, you'll have no puzzle. So when you're building a puzzle together, you work from part to whole and whole to part. You don't force the parts or else you distort the picture. And so I trust that as you see, we've been interpreting the uninterpreted parables as well as interpreting the interpreted parables. We haven't been forcing the scriptures. We've just worked from part to whole and whole to part and uh, just let scripture interpret scripture. How many feel comfortable with what, how we've been working through the parables? Hands up. What about the rest of you? How many feel comfortable with how we've been working through the word on this area? It's important because I, uh, this is gold as far as I'm concerned. I just don't like throwing gold away if we don't really appreciate 
the value of the word because I don't give this type of stuff everywhere, I can assure you. Okay, so, uh, so we work from part to whole and whole to part. All right, now, in the parts of the parable that we have to interpret tonight, and uh, this is one of those basically uninterpreted parables. We notice that Jesus interpreted parable one and parable two. He didn't interpret parable three, four, five, uh, or six uninterpreted parables. But as I've said before, I believe when Jesus uh, interpreted parables for us, he gave us keys to interpreting the uninterpreted parables. And the safest guideline, of course, always is the Word of God. If you want to buy a good commentary on the Bible, buy a Bible. The Bible is its own best commentary. If you want to buy a good interpretation of the Bible, buy a Bible. The Bible is its own best interpreter. Now, we're coming to parable 7 here, and Jesus doesn't interpret this parable, but he does give a, a part interpretation. All right, so we want to look at that now. Let's look at the parts of the parable that we've got to look at here tonight. And there's four particular things I want to uh, develop more fully. So number one, the kingdom of heaven is like unto, as we say on each of these, the kingdom of heaven is like unto, it resembles, it represents, uh, it is figured off, uh, there's a similitude here. And it's interesting to note, the gospel of Matthew is the only gospel that gives us this parable of the parable of the fish and the net. All right, so number one, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a net. All right, we'll come back to that in a moment. Then number three, that was cast into the sea. We need to look at that. Number four, and gathered of every kind. So we have mixture here, right here, gathered of every kind. Good fish, bad fish. Catfish, dogfish. Cootamundra, Barramundi, and all the rest of it. Number five, which, when it was full, came to a fullness there, they drew to shore and sat down. Number eight, gathered the good into vessels. And number nine, but cast the bad away. So we have the, the net being thrown out into the sea and gathering of every kind, all sorts of fish. There comes a time when the net comes to its fullness and then there's a drawing to shore and a sitting down because the fishing time is over. Uh, and then there comes the separation. The good are put into vessels and the bad are cast away. Now the four things we have to look at here in interpreting this parable is number one, the net. Number two, the sea. Number three, the fish and the fishermen. And number four, the mixture and the final separation. They're the four major parts we need to look at tonight. Now, let's look uh, first of all at the, at the net. And I want to give you some thoughts on this. I'd like you to turn over to, uh, let's see here, let's turn to Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 4. Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 4. Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 4. Now, in verse, uh, verse 18, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18 and, and, uh, to 20, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets 
and followed him. Now, go down to verse 21 also. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. Now, you'll notice in verse 18, these two are casting a net. But in verse 21, these two are mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. So, casting a net, mending a net. Now, I don't know how many of you were able to do um, uh, Mike Ryan's class. He did uh, a few terms back on fishing, and uh, Mike uh, shared some interesting things there. But in the Bible, we find actually that there are sort of four types of nets. So let's just uh, mention this for a moment. First of all, uh, in the whole avenue of fishing, the whole area of fishing, there's the, uh, the like, just casting the line and the hook from the shore, uh, representing one-on-one. So just one-on-one, uh, you remember in Matthew's Gospel also. And, and remember that when Jesus is giving these parables, and particularly this parable of the, of the net he and the fish, uh, most of the disciples who are following him are fishermen. They already know about fish, they know all the tricks, they know all the gimmicks about it. So their minds are just saturated with the whole concept of fishing. So it doesn't need too much interpretation for them. Uh, Jesus was going to teach them something that they didn't know, of course. So, so first of all, you have the one-on-one fishing, like when Jesus said to Peter, uh, when they asked him about paying his tax, or the temple tax it was, not the, not the tax to Caesar, but the temple tax, uh, Jesus said, uh, go down to the sea and just cast in a line there and the first fish that comes up, open his mouth and uh, there'll be enough tax money in that fish's mouth uh, to pay your tax and mine. How many would like to go fishing like that uh, and just catch a fish who would pay your tax? That'd be great, wouldn't it? And that must have taken an act of faith. You know, the first fish that comes up and you hope it's got the right money, enough to pay your tax and the tax of Jesus. That's a real walk of faith, you know. I wonder if Peter would like anybody to go for a walk with him. So where are you going? Well, I'm just going fishing. Oh, come with me. No, no, you don't need to come. Uh, no, you, you go and pray. I just need to do this on my own. Because, you know, oh boy, you know, go and catch a fish and get some money out of its mouth. You don't get, you know, you don't get your taxes paid by a fish. But uh, Jesus was trying to teach Peter a lesson on a one-on-one catching fish. So, um, open your mouth, saints. Just need to see if there's some finance to keep financing our building here too as well. Amen, Pierre. Thank you. All right, so you have that one-on-one, just a line and a hook catching fish, a one-on-one type of evangelism. And then, of course, the one we're just looking at here, this is like casting a net from the shore. And we have a different Greek word that's used there. So it's, it's, it's catching a group of fish in a net type of thing. So that can uh, represent uh, group evangelism, street work, study groups, and so forth, all different means uh, in a group uh, uh, type of approach of fishing for souls or gathering them into the gospel net because that's what the net represents. It represents the gospel net. And then, of course, in Bible times, they had a a larger net that was just cast from the boat, and uh, this can represent tent evangelism or uh, church uh, special evangelistic meetings in which a whole church is involved. But the interesting thing about the uh, 
the word that's used in Matthew chapter 13. Uh, it's a different Greek word altogether, and it's actually a dragnet. So it's not just catching fish on a one-on-one -on -one basis, one-to-one uh, -one personal evangelism. And it's not just a smaller net that's just thrown from the shore or even a larger net from a boat, but it's where a group of boats got together and they let the net down into the ocean, held the top up, of course, and then it was a drag net. Uh, that's, that's, that's why it refers to, like, in the book of Jonah where they worship the fish and they worship their god, the net. They worship their drag, their drag net, see, because uh, they believe their god, the fish god, would help them catch fish. And the Ninevites actually worshipped the fish god, so when Jonah... Uh, when, when the fish got tired of Jonah and vomited a, a backslidden preacher out of the fish, that convicted the Ninevites because their fish god had vomited this Jewish preacher out. No wonder they repented real quick. Even the animals repented and the animals went on a fast. But there was something fishy about that whole thing. That's what I'm saying. So, uh, so the dragnet here is letting the net down uh, where a group of boats were involved and... They drag everything, everything's caught into the net. And I think that's very significant here that this is the seventh parable, and it's the parable, and we'll pick this up now in this term, uh, it's the seventh parable, it's the parable concerning uh, the, the total end of the age, when the gospel net is being let out into all nations, and there's all sorts of people coming into the gospel net. Now many of us in Waverley, I know we would like God just to save respectable sinners, wouldn't you? No, you needn't say amen. I know jolly well you would, see. We wouldn't like God to save some of those real, real bad sinners because it might give Waverley a bad image. But we'd like God to save respectable sinners that haven't been too bad sinners, just respectable sinners, like church sinners that have never been saved. But real, real, real bad sinners... Wow, there's too much scaling to do of them. How many know there's some bad fish that have got a lot of scales that are going to come off them? I'm asking you questions now. Where have you been the last two weeks? I had to speak through an interpreter in India and get some response third hand, but I, I'm not in India now. I'm back in Waverley now, okay? So... Uh, Having to know that there's some bad fish needs a lot of scales taken off. That's better. Okay. So the, the whole net here is the, it's the picture of the gospel net, uh, whether it be the hook, line, and sinker, or the casting the net from the shore, the larger net. But in this case, the seventh parable is an end of the age parable. It's just the gospel net that's spread out and is going to gather of every kind. All right, now let's go to number two here and look at uh, two or three scriptures on the sea. And the scripture is very clear on this, uh, the symbol of the sea here. Let's just turn to uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 57, just two or three scriptures on this. Isaiah chapter 57 and uh, verse 20 and 21. Isaiah 57 verse 20 and 21, it says, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, to the wicked. So the wicked are like the troubled sea. So you think of the restless 
sea with its cross currents and its undercurrents and tidal waves and restlessness. And so the wicked are like the troubled sea. So the sea represents uh, the masses of humanity. So the gospel net let down into the masses of humanity. Go to Isaiah chapter 17 while we're in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 17. And the same symbolism is used here. Isaiah chapter 17 and verse 12. It says, Woe to the multitude of many people which make a noise like the noise of the seas and to the rushing of nations that make a rushing like the rushings, rushing of mighty waters. They, the nations shall rush like the rushing of many waters, but God shall rebuke them. So, woe to the multitude of many people which make a noise like the noise of the seas to the rushing of the nations. And you just think of the uh, rushing of the seas the uh, restlessness, the agitation, just continual agitation and undercurrents and cross-currents of the sea. Let's turn to uh, one scripture in the book of Revelation. And uh, wherever you see this, uh, you'll see that many, many times the Lord takes the language of creation, as we said at the beginning, and uses it as the language of the symbol. So restlessness of the seas, waters are likened to people. Revelation chapter 17 Revelation chapter 17 and uh, verse, verse 15. Revelation 17 and verse 15. And here John is seeing the vision of the great harlot church and uh, sitting upon many waters. And listen to how the Lord interprets the waters. Verse 15, he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the horse sitteth are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So the waters where the woman was sitting, the whore, the harlot, great harlot, uh, where the, she was sitting on many waters, many peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And so in the Bible, the sea and the waters are used to represent people. So the gospel net is lowered down into the restless masses of humanity throughout the nations, peoples, nations, kindreds, and tongues. All right, then number three, we're more familiar with this. The fish and the fishermen, the fish are symbolic of souls, typical of those who are going to be taken out of the sea, and also the fishermen, uh, typical of all believers. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. I want you to turn over to a uh, verse in Ezekiel chapter 47, Ezekiel chapter 47. Ezekiel chapter 47. And here Ezekiel is given a picture of the waters uh, coming from the house of of the Lord. And go down to verse uh, 8. Ezekiel 47 verse 8. Then said he unto me, These waters issue out toward the east country and go down into the desert and go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. Now listen to verse 9 and 10. And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth which moveth, whithersoever the rivers shall come, shall live, and there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither, for they shall be healed, and everything shall live whither the river cometh. And it shall come to pass that the fishes shall stand on it from Engedi even unto Enegleam, they shall be a place to spread forth nets, 
Their fish shall be according to their kinds, as the fish of the great sea exceeding many. So Ezekiel is given a vision of this river running into the sea, and wherever the river went, there was healing, there was life. And he said also, wherever the river goes, there would be a great multitude of fish, and the fishers, the fishermen, they would stand from Engedi to Enengalem, and they would spread forth their nets, and there'd be a great multitude of fish. And uh, I believe it's a great picture of the church in the last days, that wherever the river of God flows, there's going to be a great multitude of fish, and there's going to be fishermen that are going to bring in the fish with the gospel net. That's the whole picture that we have here. Now, just before we go to number four, let me just uh, uh, move through some uh, things in the gospel here. I want you to go over to, to uh, Mark's gospel here. Let's go to Mark chapter 1. And uh, in the light of some of these scriptures that uh, we look at tonight, you'll see how, how simple and yet how meaningful this parable was to, to the disciples about the casting in the dragnet and the, the mixture of, of the fish coming in. All right, Mark chapter 1. And we'll pick up in verse 16. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Now, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. So notice all this now. Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, calls the disciples and he says, you come after me and I will make you to become not just fishers, but fishers of men. And you see, as we're going to see in a couple of these scriptures here, they were going to learn something from Jesus that they didn't understand. They, they could have thought, well, you know, fishers of men, what does he mean by that? Now let's go over to Luke chapter 5. And the first great miracle that these fishers of men experienced under Jesus, teaching them to become fishers of men. All right, Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And uh, I hope that you're picking up some of the, uh, the terminology that's used as we go through. In verse 1, it came to pass as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. You know the language that I've been picking on so fast. First of all, casting a net. And then number two, mending their nets. Number three, washing their nets. Okay, much could be said on those things. Casting a net, mending the net, because the fish escape, and washing their nets, because the nets pick up a lot of dirt. All right, so he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now, when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we've toiled all in the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had uh, done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. So we have a broken net. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Peter saw it, Simon Peter saw it, 
he fell down on Jesus' knees and said, Hallelujah, look at the big catch I've got. Catch I've got. Isn't this marvelous? Aren't I a great fisherman? No. He said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, why do you think Peter did that? Let's look, let's look at this for a moment, because there's some lessons here. Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Verse 9 says, He was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draft of the fishes that they were taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth you're going to catch men. Now, let's just look at this for a couple of lessons here. Here is Jesus, a carpenter, and here is Simon, Peter, and John, and four of them who were fishermen. And these were experienced fishermen. They know all the tricks. They knew all the gimmicks. They knew how to catch fish. They knew when to go out in the Sea of Galilee. They just knew the whole business. They knew how to have the right bait at the right time and just be at the right place with where the fish were. They just knew it all. And here the Lord allowed them to have a night experience. How many know what I mean by a night experience? A few of you do. If you haven't been through a night experience, cheer up. God's got it on the list for you. Because everything seems bright in the daytime. But the Lord, in dealing with us all, sometimes has to let us go through a night experience when everything's dark and nothing seems to happen. How many know what I'm talking about now? There's a few more there. Thank you. I feel a bit encouraged. All right, so here they have a night experience. They've been out all night. And so the Lord says, look, for loaning me your boat, I don't want you to do it for nothing. I'd like to give you a little bonus. I'd like to give you an honorarium. So let out your, uh, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. And Peter said, Master, look, we've been toiling all night and we've caught nothing. We actually caught a cold, uh, but we caught nothing. And, you know, there's just, I mean, we, you're, look, you're a carpenter, we're fishermen, you stick to your trade, we'll stick to our trade, okay? But he says, nevertheless, it's your word, if it's going to please you, we'll do it. So they launch out into the deep, let down the nets, and they get such a multitude of fish, the net breaks. And so great is the catch they have to call the people in the other churches, uh, in the other boats, pardon me. And instead of being so possessive and saying, these are our fish, nobody's going to get my converts and my fish. There was enough fish for every church who was really interested in fishing and who loved fish. Isn't that? That's a good non-sectarian thing, isn't it? So... They brought in, and there was so much fish, so many fish there that both churches began to sink. <laughs> I just want to encourage you, Satan's God just reaffirmed to me very, very strongly in India that as a church we are to prepare for increase. I just so strong again in between sweating it out there. God just told me, tell Waverly to prepare for increase, whether we like it or not. I said, oh, Lord, help us. How are we catering now? He says, prepare for increase. Can you say amen? So prepare for it. Whether it's double services or what, we've got to prepare for increase. 
God's given me the word and it's just given me fresh again, just heavy. I said, okay, God, help us. Now, what was the lesson here? Because see, as soon as they bring this multitude of fish in and both ships began to sink, Peter just fell down on his knees. He said, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Depart from me. Now, why, why did a sense of sinfulness sweep over Peter? Have you ever thought about this? Because it's something we can all learn because Jesus has said at the beginning of his ministry, follow me and I'm going to make you to become fishers of men. Now you think you know how to catch fish and you know all the gimmicks, all the baits, you know, you can get your gospel films and all our little religious gimmicks we have to catch people. But what was the real secret of it here, saints? How many know that God moved upon those fish and God drew them into the net. And how many know that Peter suddenly realized that here I am, a pro-preacher, a pro-professional. I know all the gimmicks and all the ways to catch fish. I know all the tricks to use in evangelistic campaigns. I know them all. Religious films, tracks, uh, uh, egg and bakers, communion service, gospel concerts, rock music. We know, we know all the gimmicks. And But suddenly, am I saying the right thing to the right people here? Are, are you breathing tonight or is it just me? Okay. He knew it all. He knew all the tricks to get him into way of a Christian fellowship. But Peter suddenly realized that the Lord, by his spirit, moved on all those fish. And they were drawn by the power of God into that net and caught. And all Peter had to do was just bring the net to the surface. How many you know that when you're witnessing to people that it would be nice if the Holy Spirit was working on the other end? How many think that would be good? And then you wouldn't have to worry too much about the four laws. Now, law number, what's law number three? Just hang on a minute, I've got law number three. Now, law number three is punch him on the nose in the name of Jesus. Law number four is choke them. <laughs> Law number five is get him into waverly by hook about how many know that the Lord moved on the fish. And suddenly Peter realized, with all my little tricks and gimmicks, if you're going to make me a fisher of men, then you're going to have to move by your spirit. And how many know that when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 souls were drawn into the gospel net, and 5,000, and then multitudes of men and women, Peter suddenly realized, he didn't say, oh, now let me get my magazine out, my box number 666. I've had 3,000 souls, 5,000 souls. I'm the greatest evangelist the world's been waiting for me. I'm a BDO, a big-time operator. How <laughs> I many you know that Peter didn't feel that way? He knew that it was the Holy Spirit. So, saints, we've had it before, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Let's go to John 21 just for our last scripture here and just try and bring this together. I think that clock's slow up there. You will be amazed at what Jesus taught these disciples about fish. John chapter 21. And just for your own notes before we are through here, looks like that clock's slow up there. John 21, 
verses 1 through to 14. You'll notice that uh, it's resurrection morning now, and Simon Peter and company have gone a-fishing. And just pick it up again, verse 3, quickly, Simon Peter said to them, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, we're going to go with you. And listen to the language. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. Have you heard that expression before? Oh, another night experience. And another night they caught nothing. Oh, there was a night experience at the beginning of Jesus, three and a half years ministry. Now there's another night experience. That night they caught nothing, and it ended up with a beautiful morning, and this night they caught nothing. And now when the morning was come, praise God, those of you who have had a night experience, how many are glad when the morning comes? And Jesus is standing on the shore, but it's after the night. I've had many night experiences, but there's always the morning. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning, because Jesus is standing there on the shore to meet us. So he says, have you got any meat? He knew jolly well they didn't have any meat. But he just wanted them to confess it. Said, no. He said, well, cast your net on the right side. Well, what do you think we've been doing all night? Right side, left side, back side, front side. <laughs> Who cares? Cast your net on the right side. Well, which is the right side? Is the left side the right side or is the right side the right side? Come and catch him yourself. I think they would have felt that, you know, a frustrating night experience. <laughs> cast your net on the right side and you were fine. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw up for the multitude of fish, fishes. And all of a sudden, that disciple whom Jesus had said to Peter, this is the Lord. I have faint recollections of three and a half years ago when we had a night experience and we caught nothing. Remember that? And here it's again. It's another night experience and another multitude. And as you go on, they were dragging the net with them, 153 fish, and I haven't got time to qualify this, but 153 is the number of revival. It's the number of ingathering. It's a multiple of 17 by 9, for those who use the numerics. Okay? And this time, the net did not break. All right, I'll have to leave it there and just wrap up with this. In the beginning, the net break. In the end, the net did not break. There's a night experience back there. There's a night experience here. There's a multitude of fish here, and the net break. Multitude of fish here, and the, and the net break. But here, who moves on the fish? And I like the almost the humorous way of the Lord. He says, "Bring of the fish that you have caught." Or who did catch him? Uh, well, Lord, um, um, I'm not sure whether I caught them or whether you moved on them. How many think he moved on them? He moves on them, we catch them. And so that's the picture that we have in this parable of fish, that the gospel net is being let down throughout the sea of humanity today. It's gathering of every kind, and you can expect mixture in the kingdom in these last days, but there's coming a day when there's going to be a final separation and particularly, uh, more particularly, at the coming of the Lord. So I believe there's some good lessons there for all of us to learn that with all our fishing and desire that we depend on the Lord to move on the fish and draw them into the gospel net. And I believe there'll be enough fish for everybody to have.
especially for those who are really keen for the Lord and really love fish and love souls. Amen? Haven't got time to go into how do you tell a good and bad fish, but the laws in Leviticus do tell us the two signs of a good fish and a bad fish. I'd like to take that up some other time. All right, we'll have to quit there. Uh, just before we do, just a couple of announcements. Don't forget, I'm going to be away this weekend, but uh, on Sunday we have Brother Jonathan David who will be sharing at both meetings on Sunday. And then uh, don't forget on the weekend, on, on, on Saturday, we have uh, Sue Carpenter in the seminar there. So what we need here is any, if ever, anyone is available to help set up for the children's ministry seminar, we'd appreciate help setting up tables on Friday morning. Could we have four people who could just be available for about one hour Friday morning and just report to Carolyn so that can set up the tables for the seminar? Could we have four people? Okay, one, two, three. Anybody else? We just have one more person to help Carolyn Friday morning just for one hour. All right, four, thanks. I appreciate that. And then... We also need four ladies, I'm sorry, four ladies require billeting Friday night so they can attend the seminar. So it's just one overnight stay. Uh, if you can help see Carolyn or drop a note under her office door. Could we have, say, uh, those who have Ministry of Hospitality who could take either one lady or two ladies just for one night for Friday night? Uh, okay, thanks, Helen. One, two, three. All right. Uh, can you take one or two? Um, you could take two, okay. Could you tell Carolyn after this meeting, just slip a note under the door, or I'll see you and say you're happy to look after one lady and then Helen too. All right, thank you very much. Let's all stand. Trust you've got something out of this tonight, in spite of my voice uh, being like this a bit. Father, we just uh, commit your word into the hands of the Holy Spirit, who is the anointing who abides within. Thank you for the lessons, Lord, that we're learning from these parables. And Lord, we just uh, receive your word to prepare for increase. And we believe, Lord, that you continue to move by your spirit, Lord, and draw the fish into the gospel net, Lord. Just, uh, we do depend upon you, Lord, that it's not by our might or by our power, but by your spirit, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that we don't depend upon gimmicks in this church, Lord, but we depend upon your spirit to do the work. Father, we pray for those who go through night experiences that in the morning you'll be standing on the shore. We thank you for that, Father, and help us to be fishers of men that depend upon your spirit to draw them. Give us the right bait, the right time, the right place, the right people, Lord, but ultimately depend upon your spirit who is the drawing power. We believe this and thank you for it. Bless your word to our hearts and let your blessing be upon us now until we gather again in the blessed name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.